at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Welcome to episode 115 of the Bronx Beat Podcast presented by Baseball Prospectus, your podcast about the New York Yankees. My name is EJ Fagan, and tonight I am joined by Mr. Andy Singer. Hey, how's it going? I'm doing great, Andy. How are you? I'm not too bad for this time of the week. <laughs> so I, I've got Game 7 on uh, on mute. It is uh, it's, it's just We're just about to start the game, so... Uh, uh, that that's going on in the background. We're not going to be talking too much about Game Seven by the time you listen to this. One of the teams will have won. Or do you have a do you have a rooting interest in this uh, in this World Series? Uh, well, you know, part of me does want to see the Astros win at least to see McCann and Beltron get a ring. But outside of that, uh, not really a rooting interest. Although I'm finding it a lot harder to root for the Astros after the Yuli Gurriel bit a couple of days ago. Yeah, so I, I'm with you on on Carlos Beltran. That I think the, uh, I think he is of the of the veterans on this you know left here. He's the one who has the best career, and this might be his last chance. We're like Clayton Kershaw. I want to see Clayton Kershaw win a World Series at some point. I prefer in a Yankee uniform after he opts out of his contract. Uh, but I I want like he's got plenty of time. Whereas this could be Carlos Beltran's last chance. And like the Dodgers, like their like crafty old soon to be retiring veteran is Chase Utley. He's got a World Series. He doesn't need he, he doesn't need this. It's just like a, a tap onto the end of, uh, end of his career. So yeah, I think I think that's me rooting for the the Astros tonight. Though I'm also rooting for some like heroic Kershaw performance. Yeah, in the middle and I think we're gonna see it. <laughs> oh yeah, he's gonna come in like the third inning and just complete the game. It's gonna be great. I'm excited. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that should be fun. We're not going to talk about that. We're talking about the Yankees. This is a Yankees podcast, at least until we ran out of things to talk about during the offseason. But we have a big one. We have something that within three days of tonight, so within what, by Saturday, we will know whether or not Masahiro Tanaka will opt out of the final three years and $66 million of his contract. So we're going to, we're going to pull apart this decision a little bit first. Andy, do you... Do you want Masahiro Tanaka to opt out of his contract or not? Well, this is the big question of the offseason, and I think it's going to set basically the Yankees' entire offseason plan in motion because particularly given the self-imposed limits with regards to salary based on saving some tax money here, I think the Yankees could go in two very different directions depending on whether Tanaka opts out or stays in for the remainder of his contract. Personally, I love Tanaka. He's something of a statistical conundrum after this year, but the way he pitched in October, generally the way he's pitched when healthy during his time in New York, I think he's absolutely worth the money that he'd be paid over the remainder of the deal. So all things, you know, being equal, I'd like to see Tanaka stay a Yankee. So I'm I'm a little more split here. So I, I, I think I one is... You would prefer if Tanaka were had just pitched a Cy Young season, he'd be opting out, no doubt, and 
the opt-out would really cost the Yankees. If he had pitched a horrible season, which it looked like he was going to at some point, uh, or were injured or whatever, and then, then he wouldn't opt out and the Yankees would be stuck with him. I like that we're kind of on the borderline. It's not a clear case, so he's going to go, even though I think he will. Uh, but it's also not a slam dunk case where the Yankees will re- will deeply regret losing out on the final years and $66 million of the, of the contract. So we're kind of in the best possible scenario right now. I think the... I think Tanaka Tanaka's playoff performance probably overstates how good he is. He was really bad for a month and a half or so this this season. I mean, he was he was allowing. I, I put this article up and I'll link to it uh, on on BP Bronx. He was allowing a W uh, an expected uh, W uh, uh, woba of almost 0.5 uh, for multi start stretches in May, and that. That went away after the month of May was over, but it was still he was still well below average for the month of June, and then after that he was he was good like he he got better, but he never was um, he was never an ace level pitcher for an extended period of time. He looked like an above average pitcher in the second half according to uh, according to those Statcast numbers, and his his um, his d- deserved run average, which is a baseball pr- perspective statistic, which kind of is like a like a FIP on steroids. Uh, was 3.66, which is pretty good, but his FIP is 4.31. His ERA was 4.74. He was worth about four wins. I I think that if I were a betting man, I would say that Masahiro Tanaka is probably about a 3.7, 3.8 ERA pitcher over the next three years. And $22 million is just about right for that. I, I don't I, I don't actually think it's a slam dunk that he's going to opt out, even if I think it is. Uh, if there's probably a better than even odds that he will. I think the ambiguity in there is interesting because the ambiguity kind of leaves some room for arbitrage. So the you know, Tanaka, if he opts out, he could get screwed and he could lose money as a result. Um, because you have to remember, we're not only talking about the next three years of, of how much he's going to get paid, but in three years, he's going to be a free agent no matter what if he doesn't opt out, which means that he's going to have another contract. And so he could end up leaving a lot of money on the table by, by opting out. So that's why I don't think it's a slam dunk. Um, but again, because you know it might be a good deal for the Yankees, it might not be a good deal for the Yankees. I wouldn't be shocked if we hear in the next day or two that Tanaka, you know, got an extra year or two extended on his contract in return for waiving the opt out. Yeah, so I want to. If I'm the Yankees, I want to see what the free market does with Tanaka because, as you said, it's not a slam dunk case. And here's the to me looking through his statistics, and I think you noted some really important statistics. But the big thing for me this year, his home run rate went through the roof despite the fact that he had zero change to his batted ball profile against. So here's the variable as far as I'm concerned. He's always been a homer-prone pitcher. His fastball's relatively flat except for in the playoffs. Um, So obviously he's going to be a fly ball guy outside of when he's really got his splitter working. But obviously, home runs were up across baseball this year, whether it was due to a change in the ball, as we've speculated here on this podcast, or whether it's due to the fact that everybody's trying to up their launch angle across baseball. Whatever the case may be, his home run rate was sky high this year. So as far as I'm concerned... Part of evaluating Tanaka is, do you think the home runs are here to stay, not just 
in Tanaka's profile, but across baseball, because I think he, particularly from a FIP perspective and looking at the different algorithms that people use for fielding independent pitching type stats, I think the question you look at is what is Tanaka's true talent if the ball is livelier and home runs are going out, particularly in a ballpark like Yankee Stadium, where a slight change to either the ball or batted ball pads really made a huge difference this year. And I think we saw that for Tanaka in the early part of the year, which is probably why he changed his pitch mix so much as the year went on. Yeah, and there's also the injury, right? I mean, that that's that's the other you know, the partially torn UCL is laying over all of this. Now, Tanaka might pitch the rest of his career with a partially torn UCL and be fine, but it feels like a time bomb. And a time bomb that I'm not sure if the Yankees or really any other team want to, you know, commit to waiting out for six, seven years. Three years, four years, you know, I think that's a gamble I'm willing to take. Maybe you get two really good years out of Tanaka, goes down with Tommy John surgery, and you get like half a year at the end. That is... That's doable, right? That that's that's survivable in the Yankees' budget, but seven years when his his elbow could blow out any day now. Yeah, and I definitely think that's a something to consider, particularly when you look at uh, this is an oft-used comparison and obviously bears absolutely no medical relevance. But we know that Adam Wainwright pitched with this exact injury for about five, five and change years, give or take. Now, pitchers are always a lot more banged up if you were to look at an MRI than anybody would ever let on. But we know that it was at least five and a half years. So when you look at Tanaka, that places him square in the middle of his Yankees Mm. deal if it gives out in about the same amount of time. Not saying it will, because obviously they're very different pitchers and very different human beings with different biomechanical uh, exertions on their arms. But, you know, to look at it from that perspective, do you want to be holding the tab for $22 million a year on a guy that loses a year and a half right in the smack dab in the middle of a multi-year extension? And I don't think the Yankees want to be holding that. But on the flip side, once you get away from the home run rate, there's no real change to his peripheral profile uh, His outside of the fact that his Ks were up and his walks were a little elevated in the beginning of the year, but he kind of got that under control as the year went on. So when you look at that, in addition to the fact that he really gave the Yankees a couple of stellar years of pitching and coming into the season, a bunch of us talked about the fact that, you know, this is a guy that very well could be a Cy Young candidate this year if he puts it all together. So the skills are there and he put to get, he has a track record of success in Major League Baseball. So when you add it all together, I think the Yankees could do a lot worse for that money, assuming health and assuming he finds a way to get the home runs under control and assuming that home runs go down at least somewhat across all of baseball yeah i agree with you there i i worry about about the rotation without him because you know you're already looking at uh you have a rotation of what sunny gray let's say without masero tanaka so you say luis severino let's say you re-sign cc cc and you have jordan montgomery at that point unless you want to bring up you know rely on someone like chance adams kind of stepping up you have to bring in a free agent and the free agents aren't good none of them are as good as tanaka and a lot of them aren't looking to be that cheap, right? You Darvish isn't going to be cheap. Um, Sabathia might not be all that cheap. I mean, the Yankees could end up blowing their budget trying to replace Tanaka, and $22 million, 
we'll know where baseball inflation is going, but I have a sense that there's a big bump up coming at some point. Yeah, I mean, salaries stayed relatively static over the last two to three seasons, I think, roughly. So I think I agree with you there that we're definitely in for a bump, particularly considering the postseason we saw. Uh, Guys who can throw a lot of innings, particularly innings eaters, I think guys like that are going to get a boost. And Tanaka throws outside of that first year in pinstripes. Tanaka throws about 190 to 200 innings a year, and he's a guy who's got the you know seal of approval for the playoffs now. So he's got that on his resume. So I feel like he's a guy who could very well get more expensive on the free market than he is in this little opt out opt out deal. And if I'm the Yankees. I want to see where the free market is before I try to work out an extension because I don't think anybody has a firm idea of where the market's going to be this season. So given the fact that you know the free agent market isn't really that good outside of Tanaka, you'd be looking at a situation where the Yankees are looking to maybe make a trade for a pitcher who's better than what's on the free agent market. But even still, it's going to hurt what you give up to get a guy that replaces someone like Tanaka who's at his best, a near ace, and at his worst, probably someone that's at the bottom of a rotation. Yeah, I think that's that's an interesting way to think about it. Is that he is he is I think a certain degree reliable, other than the the injury. Um, you know, I, I think that it only takes one team in free agency to be make a really dumb decision to just for him no longer to be an option. And I, I, I Tanaka seems like the kind of player where there will be one team who was just so impressed with his playoffs or or whatever, right. That, that they, they blow him away with a dumb offer. Um, I hate, I, I mean, I, I good for him, right. Good for Tanaka. I think he deserves the money, but, uh, I don't want to be that team to kind of, to win the auction winners, uh, to, to, to hold the auction winners curse, uh, on Tanaka, especially, especially since he's so much more risky than uh, riskier than any, any other pitcher kind of out there. Uh, at the moment, at least in relation to the size of the contract, we can uh, we can expect. But hey, it worked out so well for us with Jacoby Ellsbury a couple of years ago. Why wouldn't we want to be left holding the money bag again? <laughs> yeah, about that. Uh, the uh, so speaking of Jacoby Ellsbury, the Yankees have very strong financial incentives to get under the luxury tax threshold for next season. So next season's luxury tax threshold is one hundred ninety-seven million dollars, and the Yankees. Uh, are currently uh, well below that in terms of committed contracts. So including their, including Masahiro Tanaka's $22 million and all of the people who are eligible for arbitration, the Yankees have about $26 million in clearance. That isn't including CeCe Sabathia's roster spot or Matt Holliday's spot or if they bring anyone else in, uh, but there, there is a little bit of, of extra money Kind of on the uh, on the on the, the the list there, and it is a very strong financial incentive for the Yankees to get below it. So if the Yankees decide they want to go out and acquire both of you know two of Kershaw, Harper, and and Manny Machado, they will need to uh, they they will be well above the luxury tax threshold for for quite a few years. The way that the luxury tax threshold works is that the longer you're above the luxury tax, the more the tax increases. So I did some kind of back of the envelope uh, um, calculations, and it's about a twenty to twenty-five million dollar um, million dollar di- uh, difference for the Steinbrenners if they if they dip below the luxury th- tax threshold for one year and then spend big thereafter. They spend two hundred fifty million dollars for the next three years. They 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 gain over twenty million dollars just by dipping below the threshold. It's going to happen. Hal Stenbrenner is very Stenbrenner is very clear about that. 
they're more penny pinchers than we wish they were. Uh, I think we should just accept it, even if we can just say that we're not happy about it. Does that sound about right to you? Or? Yeah, I th- I think that's the way to sum it up. Because if we focus on it too much, it's you know it's just going to upset us further because they really are hamstringing the team for this year when they've got positive momentum. But we just need to accept it as a reality, barring some unforeseen circumstance. This is the season to spend a little big because you you have a developing team that could really benefit from one or two like real good pieces and uh and there's there's still lots of payroll flexibility. So if if I were the Yankees and we're going to talk over this offseason we will talk about this stuff in, in in a lot of detail. But my my overall strategy would be right now spend big on the bench. I I the Yankees had a real weakness this year and that was that they gave too many play appearances to Ronald Torres and to Jacoby Ellsbury and to Austin Romine and a bunch of guys who just aren't all that good. And the best teams in baseball have been teams with very flexible rosters and lots of players who you might consider starting players uh, starting five games a week uh, because they move everybody around. I think that's that's the roster the Yankees should aim for. It's more flexible. It's it's harder. It can withstand injury a little bit more. Uh, it it is, allows for more strategic play in the playoffs, etc., and I, the way you do that is you spend money on the bench, right? You, 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 you get a couple of guys on one-year deals who might, you know, get the same amount of money to start somewhere and you, you convince them to come over here. That's what the 96 team looked like a lot. Um, there was a lot of kind of just, you know, Tim Raines's and Daryl Strawberries of the world who you, you wouldn't really expect to be uh, bench players, but were very, very valuable to those teams. And I just don't think, I don't think that's possible or easy unless Tanaka opts out and you replace him with someone cheap. Uh, under this kind of current roster. Yeah, definitely. That's where you'd want to spend money, but particularly given that the Yankees are going to place a $196 million limit on themselves, and given the fact that there are probably some players due to get raises and they've got a they've got Sabathia to sign back if they decide they want to sign Sabathia, they've got some things that they've got to get done. So from a bench perspective, as much as I'd love to see exactly what you're talking about there, I don't see it as terribly likely. But luckily, I think that the farm system's ready to produce some relatively flexible pieces. I think that you could see a guy like Tyler Wade step into a bigger role next year playing the Ronald Torres role as the super... I think Labor Torres is that player, honestly, next year. Uh, right from I, the I, get-go? Well, yeah, well, maybe he doesn't break camp because you don't want him to get the extra year of free agency when he's so young. But you know, I think that he can play shortstop, he can play second, he can play third. That is that that having that player, someone who can back up at shortstop but still kind of play some other starting positions, like eliminates the need to carry a no-hit backup infielder like Ronald Torres. Torres is the guy you keep at AAA in case, you know, you have a, a rash of injuries and you need someone to come up for for a longer period of time. But you don't need to carry that player on your team, and, and Tyler Wade might be in the same bench as, as Therese. I think it's. I think we're not sure what, which bench, what, you know, which which basket Tyler Wade is in yet. I, I think he's, but he's a he's a more useful player potentially at least than a Ronald Therese. And and I don't want to talk about too many specifics, but that I mean that's how I would structure the roster. It would be find some way to to get rid of him. Maybe find some way to upgrade Austin Romine. Find some way to have a you know legit four outfielders who are all who are all pretty good, and maybe you have to kind of structure your way around that DH spot. Um, Todd Frazier, I think, is a good kind of player in that in that equation because he can play first and third, and you know he wouldn't be an embarrassment at DH. You know, that that's kind of what I'm thinking 
um, in terms of roster construction. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with that. I Personally, I'd love to see an external upgrade for Austin Romine. I don't see anybody at yeah, the, I agree in the farm you. system right now who can fill that role. You can't count on Higashioka being healthy or even that good at the major league level. So I think they've got to go outside of that. But there's definitely positional scarcity to consider uh, regarding catcher because I think most teams would love to upgrade their backup catcher and I think that's going to be difficult to do this offseason so again barring a trade I think it's going to be difficult to do that Uh, but you know Cashman has surprised before so I could see it happening Um, but besides that I think the other thing that we really need to think about particularly given that Tanaka may or may not opt out is what do you want this rotation to look like for the next say three years Mm -hmm. give or take and I think and I think there's some real decisions this year that are going to lead to what this rotation looks like over the next few years particularly given that you've got a couple of guys in the minor leagues who as far as most scouts and observers are concerned are really ready for major league roles chance adams has been in the high minors for a couple years now domingo herman's been in the high minors and succeeded um there are just a couple of guys in the high minors who really can. Justice Sheffield's having a great year at the Arizona Fall League. So you've got a couple of guys who are really on the precipice of doing something at the big league level. So do you either give some of those guys a chance this year to fill roles for now and the future Yankees, or do you package them in deals for other players, as is the I, Yankee I, way? I, <laughs> I don't want to get too deep into into discussing the rotation because I think you're right that that's a fascinating question and I have strong opinions about about what their their course of action should be. I think when it comes down to the the big picture kind of roster construction, you know, luxury tax threshold goal, having one one more player like that in the in the starting rotation allows you to do so much with the roster because at that point you're talking about having, you know, essentially let's say Tanaka opts out and you replace Sabathia for you know, either either him or someone like him for you know fifteen million dollars. You have like forty million dollars to play with. That's a lot of money, and you know you can and, and not that many roster spots to fill. Um, and that's before you start to start talking about like salary dumps, trying to get rid of Jacoby Ellsbury, etc. And you know I think there's a there's an opportunity for a real interesting designate hitter type or um, someone to play third base, and you kind of cut bait on on Chase Headley, something like that. Is is really in the cards when you start talking about uh, a cheaper starting rotation? Yeah, uh, definitely, and I think that's part of the reason that if Tanaka opts out, I think you'll see the Yankees let him go because I think maybe they will go with some younger guys in the rotation and really, you know, take the training wheels off of Severino and let him fly because he hit two over two hundred innings this year, which is sort of the magic number with most teams. So I think at the, from this point on, I don't think they're going to go crazy, but I think if he has to throw two hundred fifteen innings in the regular season, I don't think they're necessarily going to blink about it this year. I mean, assuming the market price is you know five to six years and twenty five million dollars per year for Tanaka. I'm with you. I don't. I don't want the Yankees to get in on that. Would you do my my like extend him for an extra year, a twenty two million dollars arbitrage deal? Would I do it? Yeah, I definitely would do it. Do I think that Tanaka would do it though? And there are pros and cons to it, but I think that, as you said, Tanaka's agents know that some team out there is 
going to overpay for the fact that he now has an October pedigree. There's always one team that does. So I think that that adds to his case, particularly in light of his previous positive years, and they'll be able to justify his season this year by looking at his peripherals and saying, you know, they're not really that different. So I think a team on the open market will give Tanaka that five to seven year deal for 25 mil a year. And I think at that point, you definitely turn down the an extension with the Yankees if it's just one year, 22 mil. Um, so let's say he does opt out. I'm going to read you some names. Just tell me real quick. Are you interested? Are you not interested in in a reasonable market price contract for that those players? Jake Arietta. No. Me neither. God, no. Stay away from that guy. Yep. Trevor Cahill. Mm, yes. I love Trevor Cahill. Yeah. But that's, that's, another, that's another discussion. Andrew Kashner. No. Uh, Bartolo Colon. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just leave the yes. laugh? <laughs> yes. Uh, Jaime Garcia. Yes, actually. Me too. Uh, let's say, do, 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 there's a couple more here. John Lackey. No, I hate John Lackey. Me too. Lance Lynn. Mm, yes. It's interesting. I'm I'm kind of anti Lance Lynn on the peripherals, but that's that's just kind of me. Uh, last but not least, let's go with Michael Pineda. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm so firm. I've always been firmly in the Pineda camp, but uh, so I'll say yes because the market's got to be really low on him. Yeah, I'll give I'll give him one of those rehab contracts personally. But uh, so I mean, the the lesson of that is that there's some intriguing names out there, but the market isn't great. And I think you're right that I think the preference is is Tanaka on one of those arbitrage deals or not or not opting out. Like that's the best possible scenario. But I think the next best possible scenario is going with the the kids and trying to you know seeing if they can do it and maybe signing a Jaime Garcia or someone like that as a as a bit of a bridge or a you know a backup option um you know i i think that there i like the i like the people currently at AAA, but none of them are inspiring like none of them are demanding a spot on the roster right away um so it's it's still a bit of a it's you know and i'm thinking of chance adams who we've talked about a little bit maybe we'll talk about more going forward that is a little a little underwhelming compared to what you would expect they really didn't have a lot of faith in Domingo Herman this season. Uh, you know, you have you have a guy like uh, like uh, Daniel Camarena who's been okay. You know, there, there's there's Domingo Acevedo. Like th- these are all guys who I think have potential, but are aren't. I'd rather than be my seventh and eighth starters or sixth and seventh starters than my fifth starter, if that makes sense. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think the only guy that can you you could even consider immediately bringing up to the majors to start in your starting five next year is chance Adams. And I don't think he's as ready to plug in as say Jordan Montgomery was last year, just yeah, from I think stuff. Herman is, is the Jordan Montgomery of this year. Yep. I think he could be. And I, I was kind of disappointed. The Yankees didn't give him more of a shot this year, just because his stuff is so good. I wonder if they know something we don't because there's, there's no good reason to do what they've been doing with Herman. Well, his innings totals from the last few years are so low because of injuries. I think they just kind of babied him and really only had him there because it was an emergency. Um, so that's again, we're not going to we're not going to get too deep deep into these uh, again. Um, but as uh, going into this offseason, 
we we've we've both kind of talked about our big kind of big picture uh, issues. What do you expect to happen? So, can you give me a big picture prediction for this offseason? Not specifically who they're going to sign, but kind of what the the general trend will be. Yeah. So again, I think that the big question regarding the offseason, and I think everything falls into place thereafter, is the Tanaka question. And personally, I think. Tanaka opts out, and I think that opens up a lot more possibilities for the Yankees with regards to how they fill out the roster. So I see more. I don't think it's going to be a quiet offseason, truthfully. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, despite the Yankees' financial constraints, I think that with Tanaka opting out, they are able to get creative in the form of the free agent market for the bench. I think that they'll be creative with regards to trades to fill out maybe the rotation, and they find some takers to eat some of the large salaries that are dragging down the roster, You know, such as Jacoby Ellsbury, but maybe even one or two others that we don't necessarily expect off the bat. So I think the Yankees are going to make some moves at the margins, but I also see one big move for the rotation, given that uh, Tanaka, I think, is going to opt out. So I think there are three scenarios for this offseason. So one is the kind of the boring get under the cap, but don't do too much scenario. That's one where Tanaka kind of sticks around either with an extension or by a free agency or, or doesn't opt out. And then the Yankees bring back CC Sabathia and like Todd Frazier, eat up most of their budget. Other than that, bring in the same team next year. Should be a pretty good team, but you know, not much different. So that's one scenario. That's kind of the boring scenario where it's December and we're struggling for podcast topics. Uh, there is the, there's the kind of like extreme salary dump scenario where the Yankees decide they want to spend some money on somebody, whether that's Tanaka or you Darvish or, a DH or they want to bring in John Carlos Stanton or something crazy. I don't know. And they end up or, or they just, they just look for trades and they find ways to dump salary off the roster in the post. I wrote for BP Bronx. I identified, uh, Jacoby Ellsbury as an obvious example right there. But I also think that Starlin Castro is an interesting name. When you talk about that, especially Mm -hmm. with Gleyber Torres coming up, this might be the season to trade Starlin Castro because I don't think he's all that good. Honestly, uh, Derek wrote a great post uh, on Castro, uh, which is also currently up at BB Bronx, so that's also worth worth looking at. I I don't think that's that common because I, I don't think that's that likely because one, there aren't that many great free agents available out there, and so I think you're right that maybe there's a trade scenario that's kind of in the middle of these two scenarios. Uh, but at the same, and I also think that the 2018 free agent class is so good, even though really it's like three players: Clayton Kershaw, Manny Machado, Bright Bryce Harper. We've been talking about like the mega free agent class for a long time. But when we actually look at that class, we're like, eh, it's three guys who are all going to make $400 million. Um, yeah. I think you, you save your bullets for that for that class for the most part. Um, but I think there's a third scenario, which under my rules of podcasting, I'm waiting to talk about because we eat our vegetables first. And that's the Shohei Otani scenario where Otani solves all of the Yankee problems in one roster spot. He won't cost any real money. He's going to be signed for probably one or two million dollars. He can DH, he can hit, he can he can start and pitch, and the Yankees get to be real fun real quick. Uh, of those three scenarios, I think the first one is the most likely, but I want the third. I want third bad. I think we all want the third real bad because, I mean, he's kind of like the magic pill, right? Hey, I can take one pill to solve every problem that I have. I mean, he could be Babe Ruth. Like, he, like we're not exaggerating to say that he could be the first real two-way baseball player in generations. 
Like, that's so cool. And, you know, may, look, if you told me that he, I don't think this is actually true, but, like, he is more likely to come here because Masahiro Tanaka is on the team or because we sign you Darvish or something, like, sign me up. I'm good for that. It's the Steinbrenner's money. It's not my money. Um, I want Shohei Otani on this team. Uh, and I really do think that the Yankees are perfect for him. I think all of these problems we're talking about, he solves because you you not only get to either have a really good bench bat or you just get your, like, like most of the time DH – and the Yankees, I think, are really well set up to have a most-of-the-time DH. Why? Because, first off, they have five outfielders on the roster at the moment. And so if you fill the DH with one, someone who's not one of those five outfielders, then all of a sudden you have a, a bench squeeze problem. Um, and because Gary Sanchez exists. And Gary Sanchez is the player you probably want to have some more DH time. And then the, the dominoes keep falling, right? Because then now you're talking about Gary Sanchez pitching, you know, hitting, uh, starting 100 games a catcher and your backup catcher starting 60. And then you start looking at the catchers who might be willing to take a backup role for a big paycheck and still be able to play 60 games on a championship team. Wellington Castillo, right? Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's the domino. Those are the dominoes that start falling with Otani. And he also makes roster construction just unfair because the Yankees essentially get a 26-man roster because he gets to both hit and pitch. I want Shohei Otani. I want him bad. Now, to splash cold water just a little bit, the reports are mixed as to whether he will be able to hit at an above-average level at the major league level, but I agree with you. I mean, when you look at it, if he can even tread water, something around, you know, 100 WRC+, plus he's a great guy to have around because that is a bench bat, and he can at least fake it in the outfield. And it will be the most exciting thing to happen in Yankee baseball in a long time. And that includes Aaron Judge. Uh, last but not least, real quick, just a yes or no. Giancarlo Stanton, would you trade for him if the tra- if it were nothing and you you would give up nothing when you get Giancarlo Stanton? If we gave up – well, again, it's like what you said. It's not my money. So if it was for nothing, yeah, sure. But given the Yankees' goals, no, not a chance. I, I just want to picture Stanton and Aaron Judge hitting back-to-back in a lineup for <laughs> just – just 450 foot home runs every day. Uh, that's that's my my goal. The Marlins, by the way, are, are, have basically said they're going to trade Giancarlo Stanton because they're broke and he costs a ton of money. And if the Steinbrenners were, if George Steinbrenner were around, Giancarlo Stanton would have been a, a Yankee yesterday. Uh, he is not around. Hal Steinbrenner cares much more about money. I'm not going to be the Yankee fan who like whines about not spending 100 million dollars more than any other team. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Andy, any other thoughts about the big picture, uh, big picture Yankees? No, just that I personally hope that it's of the three options you listed before. I hope it's not option one. I hope that we have plenty to talk about this off season. And frankly, I think the potential, you know, there's too much smoke and uncertainty out there for the Yankees to have absolutely nothing going on. So I think it's going to be better than I think you and I, you know, in talking about it initially expect. But I think the Yankees have a lot of creative ways that they can meet their $196 million threshold. And I think that it, they can put together a team that's going to be exciting for next year and for years to come, even in addition to the pieces that already make them interesting. All right. And for that, we're going to get to game seven. We have missed the first inning and the Astros have already scored two runs. So go Astros. Uh, Andy, thank you for joining me. Everybody else, thank you for listening. This has been your It's About the, not, you're not the It's About the Money podcast. This has been your Bronx Beat podcast. Everybody have a good night. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, 
you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.